I'm Ian Ailes, and today we're going to be interviewing Jim Cost. We're covering his show as part of our CYOA uh, event next weekend. And we're interviewing him just to find out some questions about him and his photography. The first question I have for you is, how and when did you initially become interested in photography? Oh, um, good question, Ian. Um, I was in the camera club way back in grade nine, which is a long time ago now. Um, and I've always been interested as a hobbyist. Um, I think I bought my first digital point and shoot camera back in 97 is outrageously expensive and amazingly horrible. Uh, but at the time we thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, and I actually had a midlife crisis and went back and did the photography program at Fanshawe, uh, did the three year diploma from 2006 to 2009 and turned around and started working there in, uh, the fall of 2009. So I kind of went backwards. I did sort of dabbled in film a little bit a long time ago, then did digital, then went to film. And now I'm about as far back as you can go photographically doing this wet plate collodion process. Um, the only process that's older is daguerreotypes. And that involves mercury vapor and huffing ether all day is, is toxic enough for me. So I think I'll stop here. How did you discover wet plate and how did you transition into it from digital? Um, I had seen, uh, there's a photographer named Victoria Will who, um, did some portraits of actors and actresses at the Sundance festival a couple of years ago now, maybe three years ago, actually. Um, and she actually didn't do the wet plates. Uh, a young man named Josh Wool from New York did them. Uh, and he was just starting out and there was a great hue and cry uh, online because um, his technique at the time was really pretty bad. Uh, Josh is a friend of mine on Facebook now, and if he hears this, sorry, Josh. Um, but he's gotten a lot better since then. Um, but um, it was right before Philip Seymour Hoffman had com committed suicide, and the, the plate of him was particularly bad. Um, and there was all this discussion about foreshadowing, and could you see his ghost in the plate, and basically a whole bunch of crap. Um, and it really piqued my interest. Um, before I came back and did photography at Fanshawe, I did about 15 years of medical research. So I've got a science and biology and chemistry background. Um, and in this process, you literally make everything yourself. So I make all the chemical solutions myself. You basically make every piece of film as you use it. Um, it's called wet plate because if it dries out, it's useless. So you've got about a 10 minute working span depending on relative humidity. Um, so when I saw the pictures, it led me to sort of check out online resources. There's a very large community on Facebook, probably 3,500, 4,000 members world round. Um, it's experiencing a bit of a resurgence. Um, so I lurked for almost a year, uh, and then I went and did a, a workshop in Toronto, a one-day workshop with a fellow named Rob Norton, who's now here in London. That was August of 2014, and I've been hooked since then. That's sweet. Uh, could you give us a brief rundown of how the whole wet plate process works? I could talk for hours. <laughs> you might regret this. Um, Basically, um, you, if you soak regular cotton, like your t-shirt is made out of, in nitric acid, you get nitrocellulose uh, or gun cotton. So it becomes an explosive compound. Um, you can pack that into a cannon and fire cannonballs at people with it. 
Um, in the mid 1800s, a young physician realized that if you dissolved that nitrocellulose, that gun cotton in alcohol and ether, you could use it to fix bandages on people who had had their legs blown off with the very same material, which I think is deliciously ironic. Um, and in 1851, a fellow named Frederick Scott Archer realized that 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 skin, that emulsion that was formed would be perfect for holding photochemicals onto a substrate. He used glass. Um, it was called an amber type. Um, so you mix half of your photochemicals into that emulsion, coat a plate with it, let it dry up a little bit, and then soak it in a silver nitrate bath. And when it comes out of that bath, it's now light sensitive and is technically a piece of film. Um, you've got about 10 minutes to run out, get your model set up, do the shot, run back in and develop it. Um, so literally probably takes 10 minutes from start to finish for making the plate, sensitizing it, shooting it and developing it. So in a world where digital cameras do between eight and 14 frames a second, this is a lot slower. Um, and I really enjoy it. Um, I'm old and slow myself, so we seem to fit. So each plate is a different piece of film. Each plate is a unique piece of film. Um, when you pour it on tin, it's called a tin type or a ferrotype because they used to use thin iron as well. Um, yeah, so literally as I do it, I, I make every piece of film one at a time. You can't make 10 and then go shoot them because when they dry out, they're useless. Um, so it's literally a one-off. Um, and, uh, you know, we live in a society of, of end users and mass consumers um, if I fire up my digital camera and shoot at eight frames a second, I can make almost identical copies of those photos. Um, whereas if I sit you up and try to take five pictures in a row, they're all going to be unique because of the inconsistencies in the pouring and development. Um, so every single one of those plates is a unique piece of art, I guess. Um, is there any artists, photographers that you are inspired by? Um, that's a good question. There are a few, uh, fellows, uh, contemporary artists who are doing it. Uh, there's a fellow named Ian Reuter who is making very large glass plates. Uh, he uses the back of a cube van as his camera. Uh, and he's making sort of like four foot by six foot plates now, which are just beautiful and just ridiculous. Um, a lot of people, um, shoot with available light and shoot landscapes with this thing. Um, I prefer to work in the studio. I use modern day strobe lights for it. So I've kind of bastardized the process a little bit. Um, but it's a nice reproducible uh, outcome that I get. So I tend to shoot more uh, portrait work than anything else. Um, who else? There's a fellow in Slovenia named uh, Borut Peterlin who does some lovely landscape work. Um, as well, he bought a Range Rover and he drives around the forests of Slovenia, dragging all this gear with him, all these chemical solutions and these giant old cameras and sets up an ice fishing tent out in the woods and that's his dark room. Um, and I just, I admire that effort as I go sit in my studio on a Saturday and drink ciders and <laughs> shoot from the comfort of my room. Were there any mistakes that you've made along the way that you've learned from and have helped you to improve your style or process? Um... I've always been very process driven. Uh, and I think as with any process, um, practice and repetition, um, is necessary to get a decent outcome. So yeah. Um, when I look back at some of the original plates I made, uh, there's definitely room for improvement. Um, though to kind of blow my own horn, um, there are a lot of people who, with the resurgence of this process, there are a lot of people who, um, are not photographers who try it, 
who may be chemistry inclined. There's a lot of people who are photographers that try it but have no chemistry background. Uh, and there's a lot of people who just think, wow, that's cool. I'm going to try to kill myself with these chemicals. Um, so there are people who have tried literally for months, if not years, to get this to work and haven't been able to get it to work for numerous reasons. Um, and since I've got both backgrounds, my third or fourth plate was really pretty much acceptable. So I re I, whether it was luck or, or, like I say, I had the chemistry background and the photography background, um, I sort of came out of the gate doing pretty well. It is tricky. I, I was shooting last summer. We had a hot spell and almost every plate I shot for a week was ruined until it went through my big thick head that it's now 20 degrees warmer than it was a month ago. So I have to change the way I'm making this thing. So really with practice, you get better. Um, so I just, I, I've shot, I don't know, probably six or 700 plates in the past two years. Um, Storing a whole bunch of digital images on a bunch of hard drives is one thing. Having a stack of glass and tin plates everywhere all over the studio is another thing. So um, I'm trying to get organized for the show next week, and I'm amazed at how many I've actually shot, trying to curate myself to bring a dozen pieces. Um, do you find any advantages to the style of photography compared to film or digital? The, the thing I really like about them, aside from the fact that each one is unique, is that um, there was no Photoshop in 1850. Um, what you see is what you get. And, um, you know, there's a, a wave of, of body positivity going around. Um, and I think you need to be comfortable in your skin to sit for one of these. Uh, there's an artist named Chuck Close who did um, tintypes of Brad Pitt and Kate Moss. Uh, and if you look for those online, you'll see that um, the detail is ridiculous. Every pore, every zit, every hair is there for inspection. It's not what you would, you know, that picture of Brad Pitt was on the cover of W Magazine, which is a fashion magazine, and it's not, it's as far from traditional fashion photography as you could think of. Um, and I will shoot, uh, I've shot people of all sizes, tall, small, young, old, um, and it's really interesting. Um, it's also a bit of a strange process because it is what's termed orthochromatic. So it doesn't see light the same way you or I do. Um, red, orange, and yellow come out black. It's blind to that end of the spectrum. Um, blue eyes turn a ghostly white and freckles are totally amplified. So sometimes you get a really strange result depending um, on the person's coloration. Um, you look at those pictures from the 1850s and you think, those people must have been very dour and very staid because they're all wearing black and gray. But they may have been wearing their bright red party dress. It's a shortcoming of the process or a quirk of the process that whereby that bright red dress would turn out black in the final product. Yeah, that's something I've noticed looking through at plate photography is the eyes. Some of the eyes in these portraits become very yeah, I have, exaggerated. I have, um, one particular model who has these icy blue eyes that just come out white. And I just love the way they look. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the last answer, but um, what are all the challenges of using an antique process like this? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, aside from the fact that I'm slowly killing myself with the chemicals, um, they're flammable, the ether is, you know, re was used as an anesthetic um, in operating rooms for years. Um, I have made a couple 16 by 20 plates myself where I literally locked myself in the dark room, put a garbage bag over the door and poked the lens through the garbage bag to make the dark room into the camera. Uh, I knocked over one of the ether bottles, so I was pretty much stoned when I came out after that adventure. 
Um, so that's kind of tricky. Um, you know, the, um, when you shoot digital, there is an initial outlay, but that memory card can be used, you know, in almost an infinite number of times. Um, I'm forever ordering glass plates and aluminum plates from Chicago and chemistry from Toronto. So there's a lot more consumables. Um, and there's a little bit of, um, just a little bit of manual dexterity. If you come to the demo, you'll see pouring the plate is a little bit tricky. Uh, it's kind of like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. You're pouring something that's about the consistency of maple syrup on a six by eight inch glass plate and you don't want it to pour off the edges. You want to make a nice thin, even coat. Um, so that comes with practice, but I think that's, that's one of the hardest parts of the whole thing, that sort of eye-hand coordination. Um, the other issue with it is that, um, you know, shooting in bright sunlight, you'd use ISO 100 film in a dark room or, you know, in a, inside you'd use ISO 400 modern cameras go to ISO 12,000 or so. This process is ISO 0.3. So it's amazingly insensitive. Um, if I was shooting in a bright sunny day, it might be a two to five second exposure. So I use some very powerful studio strobes. Um, in order to get the exposure in just one strobe pop. Um, and most models are totally floored by the first time it goes off because it's almost like an x-ray. <laughs> it's a, you definitely you can, you can feel the heat coming off those strobes. Um, so there's, a, there's, a, there's some technical issues. You know, I, the, one of the cameras I have is from 1936. One of the cameras may be as old as 1912. Um, amazingly in good condition, but sometimes trying to find the gear that's still intact and keeping that maintained as well. Uh, the silver nitrate used to be called lunar caustic, uh, as in caustic soda, C-A-U-S-T-I-C. So it's corrosive to metal, it's corrosive to wood, um, stains organic materials like my fingers black, and that lasts until I get new skin for a month or so. Um, so that the, the process itself, if you're not careful and, and fastidious, can destroy the equipment in and of itself. So, and My last question for you is, uh, where's your photography going and what projects would you like to accomplish in the future? Oh, the current one, the, the, the one that's closest to fruition is, is a larger format. Um, when I started shooting, I was shooting quarter plates, three and a quarter by four and a quarter inches. I thought that was big enough. Then I went to a half plate. Then I went to the full plate and I said, no, I'm going to have to stop here because the, just the logistics of making anything bigger is crazy. Uh, but then I went and I made a couple 16 by 20s and that was going to be my target but it's just impractical at this point with what I've got. So I think I'll, I'll make an 11 by 14 camera. Um, what's interesting about shooting on glass is that you can use those plates as negatives. So you can print with them. Um, you could take the smaller plates and put them in traditional film enlargers and make silver gelatin enlargements with them. Um, but I'm intrigued by doing some contact printing um, using some older processes. So I've made cyanotypes, which is a... a printing process that uses iron as the pigment instead of silver. They come out this rich blue color. The pigment's called Prussian blue. Um, so I've made a couple contact prints from those few 16 by 20s I've made. Um, but there's a printing process called carbon printing, uh, which is probably from the same time, mid 18, uh, 1800s. Um, but it's a truly archival process. So it's India ink suspended in gelatin. And that is what winds up on the paper. Um, so when you're done, you've literally just got a black and white image that's made of carbon and it's almost got a 3d relief because the blacker parts are thicker than the gray parts. Um, and what I'd like to do is marry larger 
wet plate collodion negatives with this carbon printing process. Um, so that takes away some of the uniqueness because now you can make prints using those, those plates as negatives. Um, but I just, the, the look of those final carbon prints is just fantastic. So I have all the goodies. I just haven't gotten off my butt to actually do it um, because I keep getting distracted by shooting more and more plates. <laughs> all right. Thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me. Learned some very interesting things today. Great. I look forward to the demonstration next week. Yeah, me as well. Great.